a soldier of the cross of Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You have to know the principle behind John 3.16. That's the word. Christ is enough. Christ is the enough. Is, when you read the Bible, when you understand how beautiful the presence of God is, you can't take it for granted. The Bible says that you must eat of this word daily. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Christ is enough. Christ it's only the precious enough. blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Hello, this is Pastor Caleb Sukul. Thank you for tuning in into Calvary with Caleb Sukul. Please prepare your hearts as we listen to this week's sermon. Richard, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's always a blessing to be in the house of the Lord and to be found in His presence. What greater place than to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing in our series on Peter. So I know you have your Bibles. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I only have two verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I've entitled my sermon... Let your light shine. I've entitled my sermon, Let Your Light Shine. I don't know if you understand that we are called to be each other's accountability. That I am accountable to you and you are accountable to me. You understand? And as much as I am accountable to you and you are to me, we are accountable to each other. Right? Right? Yes? You don't agree with me? You agree with me? That means if you see me not living like a Christian, I'm accountable to you. You need to tell me, my brother, this is not what you do. And if I see you not living like a Christian, I must come up to you and say, my brother, my sister, this is not what we do. We are accountable to each other. Amen? That we have to be our brother's keeper. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an acid test because some Christians will get angry at that. Why are you telling me how to live my life? But it's a biblical principle that we are accountable to each other. Why I'm telling you how to live your life? Because God wants me to. Why are you telling me how to live my life? Because God wants you to tell me how to live my life. Not according to my ways or your ways, but according to His ways. Right? So we're talking about, let your light shine. And we can go into this in such great depth. And I want to do that today. I want us to think, I want us to chew the cut, as to say, about the Word of God. I preached a sermon a few years ago and we spoke about this and I mentioned to you about the Latin phrase Corum Deo. It's found in the Latin Vulgate. It literally talks about living before the face of God. That we should live our lives as if God is standing right next to us. When we were in school, we weren't misbehaving in class. We were misbehaving outside of class, isn't it? We chewed our bubble gum outside of class during break and in, in class we didn't do that because the teacher was there. Because the teacher was there in front of our face, we were well behaved. But when the teacher wasn't there, oh, it was a different story. 
Right, am I right? I think children still do that today as well. But that's how we must live. Every second as if we are living in front of the face of God. And He is standing right next to us. The Puritans, the Puritans founded, you know, on the dollar bill, an American currency in God we trust, that came from the Puritans. They were a religious sect from England that moved over to the new land and they founded a lot of the schools and stuff over there in America. In God we trust came from them because they put their trust completely in God. It was a move of God that they just wanted God and nothing else. And their ethos was everything you do must be Christ-centered. That if you are sitting on a chair, don't just say I'm sitting on a chair. Understand that God has made it possible that your body can move in a way that you can sit on a chair. And then now you have a chair, make it understand that God has put it, a thought in a person's mind that they can invent and make that chair. Now you're taking two things, you're taking a chair, you're taking a human being and you're bringing them together. And you have to be so conscious that Christ made that happen. Understand? Simple thing like sitting on a chair. That we can honor God in that. That our bodies can move in a way and form in a way that we can sit on a chair. You know, I'm sure you follow my ministry and, and during last year and during our COVID lockdowns, we went through church history. On the 18th of February was the anniversary of the Martin Luther's death. Martin Luther was one of the greatest reformers in the world. We have church today as we have it because of him. He told the Catholic Church where they must go and jump off because they were selling salvation. That you have to literally buy your salvation. And he had enough of it. He was bold enough. He wrote his 95 pieces. He didn't just go and pass it around secretly. He took it and he nailed it to the door of the church. Every man read, this is what they are doing to us. This is how they are abusing us. And this is what the truth says. That man was accountable to all of his other brothers and sisters. Amen. So let's go into the scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, fleshly lusts can be found in Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. And verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, this is the unbelievers, that when, you that when they speak against you, because they will, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will speak about you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of his visitation. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. I have two points that I want to cover. Point number one, a personal God. And point number two, be a Christian at all times. Point number one, a personal God. And point number two, be a Christian at all times. So let's get into point number one. Bible says there's a time to live, there's a time to die. We know that. We know that, that we have a birth date, and one day we will have a 
death dates. We all of us will die. We've, we've encountered death in our lives. We've encountered it with family members, with friends. We've encountered it. We know that there's a time to live and there is a time to die. There's nothing strange about that. That is the circle of life. All of us who was born must die at some point. Amen? That is how God is ordained things. Now, here's a very interesting thing here because he uses the term sojourners. He uses the term pilgrims. That our life is just that. We are sojourning through this life. We are on pilgrimage through this life. That our mindset can't just be aimlessly we're living life now. We're just going through life. Our mindset has to be that of a pilgrim. Our mindset has to be that of a sojourner. That we are just passing through. Another word you can use is a tourist. That when you go on holiday, you are a tourist there. You're not in that place. You don't live there. You're just doing some sightseeing, take some pictures, and you're going back home. Right? Our mentality as Christians has to be that. That this world, this earth, is not our home. We're just passing through here. We are just passing through here. We can't live life aimlessly. Like, I'm just gonna get caught up in the rut of things. Go to school when you're young, go to college, get a job, live life, die. We can't live life aimlessly like that. If we are pilgrims, if we are sojourners, and if we are say we are anchored in Christ, then our whole life must revolve around Christ. Our whole life must revolve around Christ. And not just on a Sunday or during the midweek service, but every day. Every second of the day, our whole lives must revolve around Christ. Now, this will be strange to some people if you don't understand Christ. This is going to be very, very strange, the statement I made, if you don't understand Christ, if you don't take a keen interest in Christ, if you're not interested in Christ, if you're not interested in knowing who God is. It will be very strange to you because how do you live your whole life in that manner? I'll leave that for you to answer. But we can't fight the word of God. If we have gaps in our understanding of Christ, that's not my responsibility to help you and fill the gap. That's your responsibility. I can guide you to a certain extent, but you must seek the Lord for yourself. Yes? Yes? we have to read and be careful what we read as well I always tell you read books I will always tell you read books because that's biblical Paul said bring my parchments he said bring my books always read books but be careful what books we read as well there's one particular book I'm trying to get my hand on but I saw there's some bad reviews on it coming out of Bethel Church Bill Johnson talks about the physics of heaven they are trying to take new age philosophy and sanctify it. Because they believe that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. So even new age is under Christ. So
So they're venturing into new age, seeing what they are doing, and trying to sanctify it and give it a Christian trust. That is hogwash. That is nonsense. Christ is enough. If you want to read anything and know anything about Christ, read the Bible. Nothing else. You'll see Christ there in the Bible. You don't need to read any other New Age stuff, anything of that sort. You don't have to go to any other religion. Christ is enough. You don't have to go and say, they are doing their chants, they are doing their mantras. We must do that now. You don't have to say hallelujah seven times. It's a slippery slope. Very, very slippery slope you're going to. In fact, the Bible speaks against vain repetition. doesn't expect you to do any mantras. Even if you're saying hallelujah seven times, the Bible is saying don't do that. It's a very, very slippery slope. So, the Bible tells us that as shepherds, we have to protect the flock. But this type of ministry needs to be marked and it needs to be avoided. I've done my part. Now it's up to you. We can't live life aimlessly. We have to be rooted in Christ. We have to know Christ in order to be rooted in Christ. Amen? Even, understand this, understand this, even the pagans have a certain sense of destiny. Even the pagans have a certain sense of destiny that they're not just going through life. They have a certain sense of there's a higher power that we are under. That they themselves have a sense of God, that they are doing something unto their God, a false God, but they're doing it unto a God. They have a sense that we're just going through this life, but this is not it. We get accustomed to the sun rising in the morning and setting in the afternoon, but there's more to that. We're just going through this thing. We're just going through the cycles of the sun rising and the sun setting. But ultimately, we will meet the sun. We will see the sun face to face. We will see the sun, Jesus Christ. We are going through this thing. We're just going through this thing. Now, my point number one is a personal God. And if we are going through life, we must know God on a personal level. I've had, I've seen, I've read, and I want to say this. Don't fall into a trap whereby we use the scriptures to please unbelievers. If you're talking to an unbeliever and the topic of God comes up, and when I say unbeliever, I mean someone who doesn't believe in Christ, and the topic of God comes up, that you have a problem, pray to God. What you got? What you got? God will see to you. What you God will see to you? Then you want to use the scriptures to please them. To make sure the conversation is not confrontational. To make sure the conversation is not uncomfortable. Let me ask you a very direct question. Are you ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ? That you can't mention Jesus Christ in your conversation? 
try not to use that word God. Everybody believes in God. Say Jesus. 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 God is very general. Especially you and I can use that term because we know who we are talking to. But when you're talking to an unbeliever, someone who is not of the faith, they must know where you stand. And that there is a point of evangelism for you. That you can say, this is who the Jesus I serve. I have a personal God. I don't pray to any God that's there in the sky that doesn't know me, that created the earth and then went on a holiday. I pray to a God who created all of this and is still a part of it. He's still a part of my life. I have a personal God. Jesus is that personal God. I don't know about the God you serve, but the God I serve, Jesus, is a personal God to me. I don't have to buy my salvation, nor do I have to work for my salvation. Jesus gave it to me as a free gift. Lest any man should boast. Jesus is so good, he even said it's a free gift and I can't boast about it. I can't even boast about my own salvation. If you buy something, you can boast about that. You can't boast about your salvation because he gave it to us free. So we have a, a personal God. We have a personal God. You know, as you go up in life with your child, you wake up, you sleep, you go through life, you don't care. But as you get older and you get grayer, you understand time is ticking. That we've got a window period of 70 years and we have to do the most with our 70 years that's given to us. Yeah. There's only one thing we will take and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. Every other accolade is secondary. Yes, you must be ambitious. Yes, you must do all those stuff. But all of those things you leave behind. It's only our relationship with Jesus Christ that we take with us. That's why I say we have to seek the Lord. Because when we stand there in front of Him, He's going to say, do you know me? What are you going to say? I know a little bit about you. <laughs> I know of you. I know my car back and forth. <laughs> the Bible, ah, not so much. If that's the only thing we are taking with us, our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have to take it seriously, right? And we have a personal God. We can't play Christianity. We have a personal God. Now, you know, how I feel about the prosperity gospel. It's, I've mentioned that many times. How do we reconcile the fact that the Bible speaks of felt needs? That the Bible speaks about the fact that he'll give you some material things and not become evolved in the prosperity gospel. I had a debate with some big shot this past week. I'll tell you about it during uh, uh, our midweek service. I'll tell you about it. I'll, I'll let you know about that. But how do we reconcile all about this? You know why? You know why? I mean, let me, let me, let's not forget. Let's not see. This is where we have to know good theology. 
And the whole crux of it is that they don't know theology. What is, what is the gospel? Tell me what is the gospel? The gospel is simple. We were enemies of God because of Adam's son. He hated us. We are enemies of God. The son, Jesus, said, I'll go. I'll pay for their sins. I'll be the substitute. I'll die on that cross. You punish me as if you were going to punish them. I'll do that. I'll redeem them. I'll sanctify them. I'll justify them. I'll reconcile them back to you, Father. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Nowhere there that Jesus Christ said, I'll go to the cross so they can become rich. You understand? This big shot is on TV, wants to take me on. My fifth. <laughs> I want to have a face to face meeting with the Lord. I asked a question. He says, Oh, can the gospel not make you rich? Are you telling me today? There are poor people on this planet, leave South Africa on this planet, that has salvation. Are you telling me that their salvation is worth less because they are poor? And your salvation is worth more because you are rich? No. Our salvation is equal in the Lord. But then the Bible talks about these things where it says, and oh, then I went into Matthew 6, because they only use Matthew 6.33. But I'll tell you that, on, I don't want to go into that now. I'll tell you that when we spend on, on our midweek service. But the point is, there's one characteristic of God we can't run from, and that He is our Father. So when He talks about God giving you things, it's a Father giving to His Son. There's, there's nothing else about it. It's not a genie in a bottle. Nothing of that sort. You're not, you're not going and taking a vow. Like, oh, by the way, I met her some Roma. <laughs> In Chatswood Center. She works there. <laughs> Long story. I, went, I was doing shopping and she came up to me. I don't know how she just came up to me and she said, look at my phone. I'm doing all rituals, rituals over here. I know you're a pastor. I'm like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> hey, long time. But the thing is, we have needs, right? We have needs. But the prosperity gospel takes those needs and they make it equal to the cross. Equal as to why God came. When God gives to us, He gives to us out of His love as a father. Nothing else. If you have a daughter and you know she likes Barbie dolls, if you can't afford the Barbie doll now, you'll save up money three months down the line. What will you do? You got the Barbie doll. Right? If you're proactive, you know her birthday is coming up in six months, I'll put money away. At the time her birthday comes, I'll buy it for her. That's what a father does. That's what a parent will do. And when we read the scriptures, we read it like that. When God sees to our needs, it's a father looking after his children. It's not about you twisting God's hand, saying you will give me this. You will do nothing. We don't owe him anything. 
He doesn't owe us anything. You can't twist his hand and say, I'm a Christian. You will do this for me. He owes us nothing. In fact, we deserve hell. We deserve that punishment. Is the gift of Christ not enough? We have a personal God. We have a personal God. We have a personal God. And to the point where he looks after our felt needs, tells us that he's not impersonal. Because an impersonal God, like other religions, they don't care about your felt needs. Live or die, doesn't matter. But our God, if we can worry about the sparrow, it worries about us as well. We have a personal God. That personal relationship is not there to be abused. Like the Puritans, we have to be God conscious all the time. That we have a personal God that we are under. We have a personal God. Right? And point number two, be a Christian at all times. Now, I've started the series on Peter and we're taking our time on this. I'm taking my long, long sweet time because I want you to understand this. I might just do the New Testament until Christ comes back. I am in no rush. I am in no rush. Let me tell you, John MacArthur did the New Testament in 30 years. He went to verse by verse to verse. It took him 30 years to preach the New Testament. I am in no rush. Trust me, I am in no rush. We will get this thing right. We'll do it verse by verse. Now that man is 60 something years. So he started in his 30s. People came to the church, people left, but he was doing the New Testament verse by verse by verse. It took him 30 years. We're not in any rush. We'll get this thing right. Okay? Now, we're on this thing in Peter. And Peter, I'm sure you must have heard me say this many times about how we must be a Christian. But how we have to live like a Christian. The Bible in Peter, even James talks about that. We're always coming to that point. And it's repetitive. So it's something that we have to take note of. It's a recurring point. You see, our conduct must be like a Christian in front of unbelievers. The last thing you want is for an unbeliever, and this is what he's saying here, because they will judge you. Verse 12 says like this, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Those are unbelievers. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they will speak against you as evildoers. That uh, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The truth of the matter is, they will speak against you as evildoers. Unbelievers. They will speak against you as evildoers. So when that happens, don't be surprised. They're an unbeliever. Right? Well, let's take it further than that. Let's take it further than that. Because unbelievers is a very general term. What about the unbelievers in the church? We know those outside the church 
will speak about you? What about the unbelievers in the church? Because we have the sheep and the goat that sit together. The goats will speak bad about the sheep. So we can't be surprised about that. If God has called me into ministry, I don't need your permission. If God has called you into ministry, you don't need my permission. But the goats feel as if we need their permission. Like I'm supposed to come and say, please, can I go into ministry? Is it okay? They are unbelievers. And what did Paul say? I've got no right to judge the world. I have to judge the church. If you are sitting here today, and I take this very seriously, and if you are not sure of your salvation, if you are not sure that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me. Jesus Christ died on that tree for full prophecy. The punishment that I deserve and you deserve because we are wretched people. We are evil to the core. We are rotten. The punishment that we deserve, he took for us. And if you are an unbeliever sitting in this church, the call comes out to you. Salvation is still here and salvation is still available. Salvation comes to those that want it. If you are not sure of your salvation, you can meet with me after church. But we cannot be ignorant that we have unbelievers in the church. Amen. We cannot be ignorant about that. So we have to be a Christian. Now, having said that, yes, it's good to be a Christian to those in the world when you go into your workplace, but even to those Christians, inverted commas, that come to church that are not Christians, even more to them, we have to be Christians. Because they're watching you. The Bible says that they are, they are observing you. They want to see now. This person here loves Jesus. Let me irritate them. Let's see if they still love Jesus. I bet you I can make them swear. Give me five minutes. They love Jesus. They'll be speaking in tongues. Or not. In the church. So we have to do evangelism in the church as well. We have to do evangelism in the church as well. Our conduct must be that of Christ at all times. Our conduct must be that of Christ. Brings honor to Christ at all times. Amen. They are watching our conduct. They are watching my conduct. They are watching your conduct. And I hope that if we have unbelievers in this church, they will look at us and say, I need to catch a wake up. I've been playing with my Christianity. In the morning, they dragged me and told me I must come to church. I just came. And now every day I'm just coming to church. You know, it's just something that we do. But if there are people like that, I hope we are an example of the Christ that they need. Amen. Maybe it's people in our family as well that inverted commas call themselves Christians, but they are not Christians.
we have to be that Christ Christian to them. Don't take it for granted because you put your children through the system of going to Sunday school and going to youth club and then automatically now they are Christian. Don't fall for that trap. You have to teach them Christ from a young age so that when they grow up they understand who Christ is. And out of their own free will, out of their own mind, no one's holding a gun to their head, they choose to follow Christ. No one is twisting them. When they're small, you can do that. Pull them by the ears and say, hey, we're going to church now. Even when they are teenagers too. But when they become adults, what are you going to do? So those formative years are important. That when they become adults, and you've got no say anymore, they must choose to come to church. They must choose to be a Christian. They must say, I was taught Christ from a young age. I want to follow Christ. Amen. People are watching us. I hope they have a good record of us. Let Christ be glorified. Let Christ be glorified. And my final thought on this is that if unbelievers in the Bible, if unbelievers could speak against Christ, we are not exempt. It's not nice when someone speaks about you. That's what the scripture is telling us. People will speak about us. It's not nice. Especially when they're bearing false witness against your brother. But we are to expect it because they are unbelievers. But in all of that, don't be shaken. Be steadfast in the Lord. They will speak about you, but be steadfast in the Lord. Whatever they say, don't let it be true. If they're gonna say so-and-so is just putting on a show, don't let that be true. Let that be a lie. Be steadfast in the Lord that that statement becomes a lie. We know so-and-so. They're going to church every Sunday acting very holy, but we know how they live their lives. Let that statement be a lie, and you are in control of that. Whether that statement is a lie, or that statement is the truth. People are watching, let them see Christ in us. We have to be such good evangelists, such good Christians, that when we say, do you want to come to church on Sunday? People must say, I thought you were never going to ask. Amen. And I make this call again to everybody listening to you at church and to those listening on this podcast as well. If you are a Christian, inverted commas, Christian, and you are not sure about your salvation, you can come and speak to me after church. If you're listening on this podcast, go and speak to your pastor. But let the Holy Spirit lead us. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, Calvary with Caleb Suku. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. You're welcome to rate, review, or comment below. Until next week, let Christ be seated in our hearts. God bless you.